0: to be with you this morning. Like a lot of you by now, I have friends all over the world. And whenever I say goodbye to them, we always say, I can't wait to see you again. We make at least a a general kind of promise that we will see each other again. Now, the vast majority of the time that never happens. It did happen once fairly recently, six years ago. Can you believe I've been here six years now? Six years ago, I left Minnesota. said, oh, we'll see you sometime soon. It'll be so wonderful. And about two years ago, we went to a wedding back there. It was really nice. It was good to see some people again. Most of the time, it doesn't happen. And, and so I'm under no impression that somehow they are organizing their life around waiting for me. I don't think they are waiting for me to come and visit you know they all know that i have five kids my friends all over the world are not saving all of their blankets and their pillows and their mattresses in their houses so that when someday i come to see them they have beds for all of my kids it's not happening right and they know that i live in the eastern time zone now in michigan they're not living on the eastern time zone no matter where they are so that when i come to see them we can just seamlessly transition right into their life you know and have breakfast on our schedule which is which is a big deal right when you show up in the west coast and you're like four hours off and it's you know nine o'clock and you're like i'm starving right your body's all messed up man it would just be so nice if our friends in china lived on our schedule wouldn't it we could show up and eat breakfast when my tummy says it's time to eat breakfast but that doesn't happen. And, and they know that we have seven people in our family, but they're not saving cars for us so that all seven of us can transport around and see things together. I'm under no impression, no, no thought, right, that my friends all over the world are preparing, they're making a place, they're waiting for us to come and see them. It's totally different though with my grandparents when we moved here when we moved everywhere we went right we always made a promise to my parents that we would come and see them and we've kept that promise and so once every few months you know my my wife or i i'll probably text my my parents and i'll say hey we're going to bring the the kids to come and see you and do my parents have beds for all seven of us in their house Absolutely, and my mom makes sure that they're all right there and they're saved and they've got sheets and everything else on them. And do we plan activities around our time together? Absolutely, right? She says make sure that we save the, the trip to the apple farm and the Christmas tree farm. We do those kinds of things together. They even allow us to kind of live on our own time zone. We've got this deal worked out that when we wake up in the morning, the kids are up at like 4 a.m. because it's, you know, 5 30 here, right? we got this deal. My dad is a really early riser. And so we can send the kids upstairs, and dad will fe- feed them first breakfast while we sleep a little bit since we're on vacation. We've figured out, right, they are waiting, they plan for us to come and visit. There's all the difference, isn't there, between a life that's waiting for a certain person to come and then a life that's not waiting for somebody to come. And we could ask, who are you waiting for? Are you organizing your life like you're waiting for somebody? And this question is not just such a, a silly f- little question, you know. I, I meet people all the time who say, I don't know what I'm doing in life. I just don't feel like I have much of a purpose. And, and, and yet, when it comes to it, they are really good at making preparations for somebody else to come. This weekend, my, my mom, we had a little family Christmas party. My mom devoted her life and her time for like a whole day to organizing everything so we could have a wonderful Christmas party, you know, food and da-da-da and all of that kind of stuff. She For a whole day, she didn't spend any time really on herself and the things that she wanted in life. She just focused on getting ready for, for this big party and all of the guests to come. I think she would be one of those people who says, I don't really know what my purpose is in life, but maybe that's just her purpose. And maybe you say, I don't know what my purpose in life is. One of the things as God's people, we have to say is part of our purpose in life is just to Wait. That's what God wants to show you and I this morning in this wonderful story from Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at those two sections, and I want to show you two things, first of all, just that you should be waiting, and then secondly, what it looks like to wait, right? That you should wait and what it looks like to wait. So first of all, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. In both these stories, the angel visits the Uh, parents of Jesus. First Gabriel visits Joseph, then Gabriel visits Mary. He announces to both of them that they should take home the other person. Joseph is supposed to take Mary home, and Mary will be a mother, even though she is a virgin. He tells both of them what the name of the baby will be, Jesus, and he tells them how great this kid will be. God's setting up all the plans for his visit. It's kind of hard to prepare for a visit from somebody if you don't know who they are, if you don't know anything about them, right? God has given Mary and Joseph and you and I all the details that we need to know about his visit. He's making it happen. His point is to say, you know, he didn't accidentally pick some random child at that time, and just say, oh look, it's lucky. You know, it's, it's easy when we think, we start to think that God works out things in our lives, that he's just really good at using situations. And it's true that you can think that God is like over-manipulating the world for your good, but you can also underthink how much he is working in the world. And let me, let me give you a little bit of explanation there because I'm, I'm probably not making much sense. God promised to all of his people long before this time that he was going to send a savior. We heard about that, for example, in Isaiah chapter 7 this morning. But then when the right time came, he came to Mary and Joseph and he said, it's going to be this kid, your kid, that will be that savior. He didn't say, oh, oops there's a baby, let's make that one be the right one. He said, no, it will be that kid. And he wanted to make sure that Mary and Joseph and all of us knew that he actually intended to keep that promise. See, that's what a promise is supposed to do. What's a promise? A promise. We maybe make so many promises in life that we don't even think about it anymore. But a promise is a declaration that gives somebody else the right of expectation. A declaration that gives the right of expectation. It's kind of a, truly, it's kind of a weird thing because a promise lets somebody else act based on what you have said. It's kind of a, a big deal. It's, it's not a little thing. You get to organize your life around what somebody else has said. You know, you can see the power of a promise a couple of times in the Bible. For example, God told Abraham that one day he would have an heir. And you know what Abraham did because God told him that one day he would have an heir? His wife told him to sleep with her mistress, Right? Now, that's kind of a shocking thing to happen. But Abraham and Sarah both thought that a promise meant action. You could put it into action. And so they did. They made it happen. Or or another time, God told David that his son would succeed him and would sit on his throne. And so do you know what David did then with his sons? When one of his sons murdered another son, David refused to discipline his son. He let his own son get away with murder because he wanted that son to be able to sit on the throne. And if he was in jail, he couldn't sit on the throne, right? See, promises, as crazy as they are sometimes, they let people take action. In fact, they demand that you and I take action. They call us to take action, both Joseph and Mary, Went home. What a promise does is it does not let you live in inaction. If you've got a promise, you have to do something about it. A great example Noah. God told Noah there would be a flood. Did God let Noah sit around and do nothing? Did God let Noah just wait as if, oh, it'll all work out? No, God told Noah, go build a boat. Make this boat. And God provided everything he had. And God even sent all of these animals to the boat. Imagine if Noah hadn't built the boat and the animals just showed up. That would have been an awkward moment. Right? A promise does not just allow us to take action. A promise demands action. That's the difference between a principle and a promise. There's a lot of principles in life that you and I follow right? A lot of basic truths about the way the world works and how life works. We know that God is love, right? We know that Jesus died for our sins. We know that Jesus will return again, all of these kinds of great promises. We know that there will be hurricanes in Florida. That's a basic principle of life. Florida will get hit by hurricanes every year. And so in general, you take some action based on that principle, you buy yourself flood insurance. And yet for some crazy reason, despite the fact that every year they come, millions of people think it's a brilliant idea to live in the path of a hurricane. Now I tell you, why do they do that? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a Florida person. I don't get it. I'm not picking on them, right? But you can tell once the principle becomes a promise, all of a sudden everybody springs into action, don't they? As soon as the hurricane shows up on the radar, everybody's like, let's get out of Florida. That's the difference between a principle and a promise. And God wants you and I to know that when it comes to his word of sending a Savior for us, it's not just a principle. It's not just a general truth about life. It's a promise. He picked a time to send a Savior, and He made that time into a reality. He made that time into a reality even for you and for me. And what would that reality look like? What would that reality be? We hear it in verse 21 in this lesson today. He says he will save his people from their sins. You and I cannot hardly imagine what an awesome promise that was for these ancient Israelites. You know, we know what it's like to be promised that our own sins will be forgiven. I was struck by this the other week because because one of my kids did something that was a little bit wrong. Like it was, it was a little bit wrong. Honestly, it was like a tiny wrong. Maybe not, even, maybe not even a count on the scale of wrongness wrong. Okay. And yet he was so distraught about it because he was convinced that it was wrong. And it was a clear example of God's convicting his conscience. It was really fascinating. And so I got to, you know, got to say to him, bloody, I appreciate that you accept that you did something wrong and you've confessed it, you've admitted it. And I, and I said, I forgive you and I love you. And I, I could forgive him and right, hug him and all that. And, and we went on and it was just fine. He was so distraught over the tiniest thing that he had done wrong and he needed to be wrapped in those arms of forgiveness. Now imagine you have a whole people, an entire nation, millions upon millions of people, and all of their sins. And in one moment, God says, I'm going to take all of that. I'm going to take the entire nation's weight of sin, and I'm going to lift it off you. Can you imagine what it felt like in that moment? Can you imagine how those people felt? I think about that moment. You probably don't even remember the moment. Go home and watch the movie, Lion King, especially the the new one that came out just a, a few years ago when they remade it. And they present that lion cub. He holds it over the people after they've had this battle for the throne, for who will run the lion nation. And in that moment, the whole nation swells with pride. Their whole hearts are lifted in love for that child. And all of their sin, all of their fear, all of the shame of the destruction is gone. One nation in one moment. And that's what God does. That's what you and I have to wait for. We wait for that one moment not just for ourselves, but for all of us, because that's what we have promised. God has promised us that he will come to each of us with his Holy Spirit, and he will take away our sins. But he will not just do that to each of us individually. He'll do that to all of us together. He will not leave us alone, but, but like a relief pitcher coming to a baseball team, he will come and rescue all of us together. That's a powerful promise. That's an amazing promise that God would come among us in this Advent time, would let us see our sins in all of the ways that we hurt each other, and he would rescue us from that moment. You know, God, that's, this is the difference between a substitute teacher and a relief pitcher. It's the, that kind of a promise. See, nobody waits for a substitute teacher to come to the classroom, right? The only people who like having a substitute teacher are the little boys who wanna get away with all their shenanigans when they have the substitute teacher. But when the relief pitcher steps on the field, everybody says, hooray, finally, we're getting saved in this moment right? Because the pitcher has been falling apart, the team is losing hope, and they don't think that they can keep going, that they will win the game. But then the relief pitcher steps up on the mound and he throws those pitches 95, 97, 98 miles an hour, and boom, 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 one after another, the other team goes down and the crowd roars. Friends, that's what we have. Not a substitute teacher who we're just saying, oh, fine, Jesus is here, that's good. Friends, we have a relief pitcher, somebody who is stepping into the middle of our game and saying, I will accept responsibility for all of the junk of your life. I will accept all of this responsibility for the disasters of your lives. And I will be the one to take that mess and fix it. I'll be the one to fix it. I don't know how frustrated or annoyed or depressed or upset or whatever else you are about life right now. I know some of us are like, ooh, life is great. And some of us are like, life is awful. But no matter how you feel about life, got to look at it and say, we need a relief pitcher. We need somebody to step in to take our sin, our mess, our problems, and fix it. And so you and I, we need to start waiting for that person. We need to wait. I am absolutely not telling you to do nothing as you wait for Jesus. No, I'm, I'm telling you, like Mary and like Joseph, to go home and get ready so that as Jesus comes to you in your life, you are ready. And there are all all kinds of ways for you and I to wait. I remember waiting for the birth, especially of my first child. I remember how excitedly anxious I was about that. Man, we got so much done in like four days, right? Before that baby came, holy buckets, we could have ran the world if we had kept going for another two weeks. That's an okay way to wait for Jesus to come. And I remember, I remember waiting for the grandparents to come and visit. When the kids know that the grandma and, gra- when grandma and grandpa are coming to visit, man, they are excited. They wait with so much excitement by that window, and they run around the house getting everything done. It's a great way to wait. You can wait like that for Jesus too. Sometimes we wait in silence, right? When our loved ones are sick or dying, we wait quietly to see what happens. Sometimes we wait with great hope when we're waiting for that person to ask us to marry them. Sometimes we wait nervously, like when we get to go on that first date and we're, we're going to go pick up that, that date, we, we're all filled with nerves. There's all kinds of ways for you and I to wait for Jesus. The question is, are you waiting? Are you waiting at all? because it's really easy to tell the difference between a person who's not waiting and a person who's waiting. The person who's waiting, they do everything in their life around the person who's coming. Right, the person who is waiting organizes their life around the person coming. If you had watched my mom the other day, get ready for the Christmas party, you would have known without a shadow of a doubt that she was waiting for people to come. There was no way you were gonna watch her work in the kitchen, clean the house, organize the kids, plan the games, make the songs all come together, and all the while do this without making herself all gussied or you know whatever nice. I mean, she was wearing the whatever loungiest sweats you could find around the house, right? There was no way you could wonder what was going on? You would have walked in that house, you would have said, for sure there's a party happening here, for sure there are people coming, and she is waiting for those people to come. She is getting ready for them. There would have been no way for you to think, oh, this is just a normal day in the house. You would have known as soon as you walked through the door that she was waiting for people to come. Friends, Jesus is coming to you and me. Not just 2,000 years ago, but he's coming now in His Word, in His sacraments, to us. He is coming to save us from our sins. One of the awesome things that you can do in life to be ready to wait well is to confess them, to admit. Nobody likes to talk about all the stuff that they do wrong in life. You can always tell the people who are really waiting for Jesus to come because they just fess up about their stuff. Every now and then I get to visit with people or talk with people and and instead of us having to talk about all the niceties of their lives, oh, look at the beautiful Christmas tree. Oh, look how nice the kids' concert was. Those are good things, and I'm not saying that's bad at all, right? All of a sudden, every now and then we get honest, right? We say, this is the problem in my life. This is the problem I have with my spouse. This is the problem I have with my friends. This is the problem I have with myself. This is the mess of my life. Those people are waiting well. They face their sins. They confess their sins. They expect a Savior to save them. Friends, let's wait well. That's the Savior that we have coming. Let's wait for him. Let's pray for that. Lord Jesus, you promised that you will come to us. You will come. You will come to us now, and you will save us from our sins. And so we wait. We wait, knowing that you are coming. We're not going to hide our sins. We're not going to ignore them. We're not going to brush them under the carpet. We're not going to deny them. We will wait for you to come. We'll air them. We'll get them out. We'll work on them so you can forgive us and heal us and renew us. Let's wait, Jesus. Wait for you to come and rescue us. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.